Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Welcome again to Travel First, where we discuss some beautiful places to see around the globe. Joining me, and my name's Alex First, is Chris Coleman. Hello, Christopher. Greetings to you, Alex. If memory serves correctly, last time we spoke, you were about to depart, albeit temporarily, from Dubai and head to another part of the Gulf, i.e. Abu Dhabi. Correct, Amundo. And I had not visited either of these places before. So it's great when you go to see a place that you know very little about. My wife is somebody who studiously looks at vision, reads up about places, etc. I prefer not to. I prefer to be mesmerised at times. And same thing because you and I also talk movies on another podcast called Movies First. I don't like reading about a film before going in. I don't like seeing the shorts. So I try to avoid as far as is possible as much as I can about a destination that I'm about to visit. Sometimes, well, inevitably stuff seeps in there. So, I mean, it's very difficult to go to Paris and not know that you've got to go and visit the Eiffel Tower or the Follies or whatever it may be. But with Dubai and with Abu Dhabi, well, look, it's it's a relatively new place for some Australians because as far as airlines are concerned, I mean, it's only in the last few years that Qantas has joined forces and flies through Abu Dhabi rather than Singapore. So that's one of the reasons, and people usually use Dubai as a stopover destination and Abu Dhabi the same way. It is going to be a growing destination for Australians, though, because uh, Qantas, for example, if you fly, uh, and and obviously with the coach here with Emirates, if you fly through Dubai now, they will often make the offer to you of a free night's accommodation in Dubai on the way through. So you can actually get that free stopover with a free hotel room thrown in. Is that because is that as long as it's under the twenty four hour bar mark? Because no, I'm not I'm not sure what the exact conditions are. My my tip for that would be just ask your travel agent uh, or, or inquire when you're booking. Uh, funnily enough, that's how we wound up in when we wound up in Dubai. That's how we wound up with uh, with a considerable amount of time there because uh, we got that and then a few things changed and we wound up with a bit long, bit longer than we intended. I, I reckon it's it's interesting thing you mentioned about travel agents. Now, is it travel agents that you should go and visit? And, I, th- I think a lot you know, of it depends on where you're going too, Alex. You know, if you go to somewhere, if you've got a travel agent who knows where you're going, that's great. If you go to one of these corporate behemoth travel agents, they're much more in the assembly line business where you'll go in and they just want to get you to sign up and, and, and put your name on the line, hand over some money and off you go. So you really need, if you're going to use a travel agent, use someone who knows the business. Don't just go along to a, a faceless corporate type uh, and uh, expect them to know everything. Well, it's it's also winning their trust and you being comfortable with who you're dealing with. And one of the things that's interesting is if you travel a lot and you go in and you try to get advice from somebody, 
one of the things that I try to go for is somebody who's been to the place that I'm going to, right? So I'll go into a travel agent and I say, look, I, I want to go to XYZ. What do you know about that place? And how many days would you spend there? Because often when you're going overseas, you can do it one of two ways. You can do what we did on an eight-week trip, we being my wife and I. You basically visit half a dozen countries or a dozen countries and you'd spend three or four days in each of the key cities and, and then you move on. Or you can really get to know a destination and spend one or two weeks in, in one location and say, all right, well, that's fine. And then the next time we'll do another place, another country, et cetera, et cetera. The, the dilemma that I suppose we have is that the nature of my work means that I can usually only go at particular periods of time and it's not always the best time to visit a, a particular country. So I might go there in the middle of winter when it's minus 10 degrees. I never let that deter me from going. I really don't. I just sort of say, all right, well, fine, we're seeing it in winter and that's fine. We realise that the days are going to be a bit shorter but we don't know when we're next going to get the opportunity to travel. So make the most of it while we're going. With that in mind, going back to Abu Dhabi, we were staying in Dubai and we were again picked up by the same crowd that I'd, I'd mentioned through Creative Holidays, Arabian Adventures. We were picked up at our hotel, which is the Jumeirah Beach Hotel, which I would highly recommend to people. Absolutely brilliant, brilliant place. We were picked up there and in less than one and a half hours, we were at the entrance to the biggest mosque in the United Arab Emirates. Emirates, And it is called the Sheikh Zayed Mosque. Magnificent white marble and gold edifice. And the only thing I can draw you to as a parallel is the Taj Mahal. Now, have you been to India? Uh, a very long time ago. Okay, well... Having said that, the Taj Mahal was there, so, you know. You, go, you saw the Taj. <laughs> we, we flew over the Taj. You flew over the Taj. Yeah. The Taj is phenomenal. And, in fact, you've just, you've just got the future king and, uh, and, and his, his wife uh, having visited there. And if you buy the current edition of Hello magazine, you're going to see some shots of the Taj Mahal with them planted, you know, Prince William there and, and Kate Middleton or... Formerly Kate Middleton. Mm. Now, the, the the Taj is spectacular, absolutely brilliant. The only downside of the Taj, and it really is the only downside, is that there's so many happy snappers and photographers there and people wanting to guide you and take your photo and, and so on. I actually wanted to be there and cut myself off from the world and just sort of experience it for myself. It was like like sort of travelling down the middle of a busy road. Uh, <laughs> that was my only downside to the Taj. Beyond that, it was just a, one of the great experiences that I've had in my lifetime. The Sheikh Zayed Mosque, though, just beautiful, magnificent, awe-inspiring. In fact, if you, while you are listening to this, Chris, if you Google the Sheikh Zayed Mosque and you, I don't know, you, you get onto one of the sites that describes it, uh, even if you go, let's say, Wikipedia, you, you, are, you are going to sort of get a, a little bit more about it. it it's, it's really a grand mosque and it, it's uh, one of these things that, is so large that in terms of worshippers, it's designed so that 40,000 worshippers can be there at the one time. Isn't that extraordinary? That's amazing. I, 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 you know, I just, it's mind-boggling to think of that. And uh, 
you know, you've got a series main prayer hall and and then then a couple of smaller prayer halls, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and there's minarets. There's just so much going on. I'm not sure whether you've had a chance to Google it, but it's pristine. It's absolutely splendid, and it's this like, like oasis, literally in the middle of the desert. And you just, it's such an easy easy ride to get there by uh, a very very nice uh, smooth motor vehicle. It was just a great experience. It's named after the late Sheikh Zayed bin Sultan Al Nahyan, and it took $800 million. It was an $800 million plus project, started in late 1996, 38 contracting companies, about 3,500 workers bringing it to fruition. It took 12 years. There you go. Officially opened on the 20th of December 2007, and allegedly as many as 40,000, as I say, can pray there. So the 3,500 workers gave 40,000 people a great deal of joy. That's all I can say. And interestingly, they're still landscaping parts of the outside. So, you know, it's, to, it's been a, a labour of love is probably the best way I can put it. And, I mean, I think the concept behind it was to sort of draw together all of... It's a, sort of a, a cultural diversity of the Islamic world, right, a, a structure that unites the Islamic world. And, I mean, it's all about historical and modern values of architecture and art. So, uh, and interestingly enough, the final resting place of His Highness Sheikh Zayed bin Sultan Al Nahyan is located on the grounds beside the same mosque. So there you go, a human edifice in some respects, but I would highly commend people to go along and see it. It is very, very special indeed, this particular mosque. And I reckon if you go there, you should count the domes. <laughs> yes, you can count the domes. 82 different domes, according to the internet. Is that right? 82 different domes of seven different sizes. You asked me to look it up while you were talking. I looked it up while you were talking. It's specky, isn't it? It's really it's nice. It's amazing. It spreads. Yeah. It, it goes as far as the eye can see. Yeah, it's wonderful. It is really And, I mean, it, it, it is one of those... What, what was that story about, you know, somebody being... Uh, uh, in, in the Bible story where you see so much gold, you're just sort of mesmerised and you go into this sort of catatonic state. Uh, when you see all this this white marble and... You, you you really are blown away, I, and the marble and the gold that I've just spoken about. Now, on our travels, we we passed the Capital Gate Hotel. The Capital Gate Hotel. We didn't stop. We were going at some some speed, and and we had limited time. I would have loved to have stopped and taken some happy snaps. I I took some snaps from the car just to believe I'd I'd seen what I really thought I was seeing, because this hotel, which is a modern hotel leans more than the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It leans 18% to the west, which is 3% more than the Leaning Tower. And Why have they done this, Alex? Because they can, Chris. <laughs> that is the reason. Basically, it looks quite alarming when you photograph it, and it's certainly a great talking point. Uh, I just hope that it stands the sands of time, to use again a desert analogy, because, uh, yes, it, it is quite... Uh, it's almost distressing when you first see it. Uh, you, you kind of want to get there with a few mates and try to prop it up. But it is very nice. And uh, I, I thought it was one an unexpected highlight. I Nobody had told me about it. We just passed it. And I said to the tour guide, what the heck have we just seen? The Capital Gate Hotel, it is called. By the way, they're, they're in the throes of building a new palace for the ruler of Abu Dhabi. Oh, does it have a lean on it as well? No, it doesn't have a lean on it. But what I liked was that the sheikh has a sculpture 
made up of a series of single metallic letters outside his offices in downtown Abu Dhabi that spell the word tolerance. And in this day and age, we could certainly do with more of that. By the way, I want to ask you a question without notice. You can, you can sort of try your luck at this. The flag of the United Arab Emirates, what are the colours? Give me some of the colours. I'm, I'm going to take a guess here because most of the flags in that part of the world have, have a fairly common theme to them. So let me see. There will be some black. Mm-hmm. There will be some red. Yes, indeed. There will be some white. Correct. Uh, there will probably be some green. Yeah, well done. And, and I asked the tour guide about it. Red represents defence, black is oil, white is peace, and green, well, I suppose you could say landscaping and business and the economy, that sort of covers it. But, yeah, I mean, that that, that was a piece of trivia for no reason whatsoever, but at t- I'm kind of intrigued by how flags came to be. We also stopped at a place called Ferrari World. Yes, you can stop at a place called Ferrari World if you are into those beautiful red motor cars. Where's my souvenir? Well, Chris, I actually stopped to buy you a small little red model car. Uh, On your salary, you may have afforded it for me, but I couldn't afford it for you because the model car, the model Ferrari, was more than $10,000 Australian. Really? Hmm. That's quite expensive. It is. And and you're a most worthwhile fellow, but um, I I figured that uh, you wouldn't want a $10,000 gift. (laughs) <laughs> you don't know me that well. <laughs> yes, I don't. You're quite right. No. Um, yes. The, the, um, by the way, before you actually get into Ferrari world, there's a large Ferrari shop selling souvenirs of all shapes and sizes, and you can probably get something under $10,000 if you look hard enough. By the way, when you do go there, there's a 2010 Formula One Ferrari, which you can get up close and personal with, although... I wanted to actually get in there. It sort of looks like a the the cockpit of these cars is is pardon me pretty small. It's um you need to be a small fellow to get in. But you, well, you you're can't. a little man. You'd be up. You'd be right. Well, I remember when I went to Vietnam. Have you gone down the Coochie tunnels? Boy, oh boy. Um, you you can uh, if you're claustrophobic, you don't want to go down there. But uh, they, there were barriers that prevented me from getting into that 2010 Formula One Ferrari. All's the pity. All's the pity. By the way, all around Ferrari World is what is apparently the fastest roller coaster in the world. Can you imagine going on a roller coaster? And I saw people doing it 240 kilometres per hour. That's seriously moving. Well, we're not talking about a bullet train here where you can't tell that you're moving. I assure you, I reckon if you get into one of these things uh, and you've recently had lunch, don't get into one of these things. Uh, you're, You're twisting and turning. It is stomach churning. I, I could not bring myself to do anything else other than look at other people in there thinking, you mad buggers, good on you for having the gumption to do it. But, yes, if you want to see the fastest roller coaster in the world, you need to stop at Ferrari World. Then we made our way home. We, we'd sort of done the, the, the trip, which the highlight of which was the Sheikh, Sheikh Zayed Mosque. On the way back to the other country, Dubai, we deviated to take some happy snaps at one of the famous hotels in Dubai called the Atlantis Palm Hotel. And we got there to the Atlantis Palm and my wife and I were framed between two wings. And that, I mean, again, if you Google Atlantis Palm Hotel, you'll see what I'm talking about. 
Yeah, it, it's one of the noted high points of Dubai. Yeah, now, I've, I've been I've been there. You've been there. I've been to the Atlantis Palm. I haven't stayed there, but I've been there. Uh, it is incredibly difficult to photograph. It is just so big. Big, yeah. It, it, it is so big. It is incredibly difficult to photograph. The only way to do it would be to go out into the ocean, and I wasn't taking my camera out there to do that. Um, we were told about the opening of that by our guide uh, in Dubai, and he said that the fireworks that they set off that night, you could see them with the naked eye from Dubai Airport, which is about 30 kilometres away. Yeah. They yeah. don't do things by halves over there. Everything is about the biggest, the brightest, the best, the tallest, et cetera, et cetera. Guinness Book of World Records type stuff. That's that's what Dubai is all about. I mean, it's, it's tourism personified and they really do look after tourists, which is terrific. I'm delighted to be able to say that. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I'm pleased we did take the photos. I, yeah, it, it's kind of, you know, the, the happy snaps that people take where you can put somebody on the palm of your hands and if you, you're at the right angle and stuff like that. You know, the, the, in fact... Talking about taking Happy Snap, I hope you, you got the gist of what I'm getting at. There are certain structures that you need to photograph at certain angles to be able to sort of trick the trick the camera into believing that you're actually riding on a skateboard or in the middle of the ocean or, you know, at, at the top of the Eiffel Tower or whatever when, of course, you're not there at all. One of the things about travel, though, Chris, is what camera to take. Now, these days, a lot of the people that I saw, apart from having really heavy-duty stuff, that you know, the really good sort of set-your-own zoom, set-your-own sort of uh, stop levels, et cetera, et cetera, a lot of people had the automatics, but most people were just using their, their smartphones. Uh, now, you can take some very good photographs with your smartphones. Are you one of these travellers that prefers to get have a camera camera rather than a phone camera? Look, I still carry a, a, a digital SLR camera because... There's, for mine, there's still nothing like an optical zoom when you can twist and, 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 and the zoom. Of course, when you're going on holidays, you have the issue of weight and, and space in the luggage. So you need to weigh up what you want to take. And this is something we could spend hours and hours on. But one thing I would mention is that I also have, and they're available through these online shopping sites, things like Groupon and Geek and Wish and so on. You can now buy little lenses that clip on to your camera that increase the versatility of your camera, of the camera built into your phone. They won't give you earth-shattering photos. For mine, you still need to take a proper camera, but if you're travelling light and you don't want to take as much weight, check out on those websites. And we'll talk about this on another episode, Alex, because we've got you know, all the time in the world then. But if you want to take a, a DSLR camera, a digital SLR camera, uh, you, you probably need to make sure you've got some sort of a wide-angle lens because if you're going somewhere like the Gulf, like Dubai, where it's all about bigger you need to be able to get whole structures in. And the big disappointment for me was I couldn't get, because of the, the route that our, our tour took, I couldn't get all of the Atlantis Hotel into a single photo. Uh, with a little bit of tweaking around, I could get all of the, uh, the, the Burj Khalifa into a frame, but it still didn't quite capture the size of it relative to the skyline uh, in we there. We should say at this point, sorry to interject, but the, the Burj Khalifa is the world's tallest building. It, it is. So, look, it's going to be hard to get that into a single well, frame at the it, best of times. It's 828 yeah. metres high, nearly a kilometre in height, more than 160 storeys. And, they're, in fact, they're, they're in Dubai, they're about to build a structure taller than the Burj Khalifa. And this is about what we were saying earlier, about the biggest and the brightest and the best, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, I... 
I think in an ideal world, the, the only concern I have with cameras is the weight of them. And, you know, some people are getting very, very serious. And, and I mean, that's the hard thing as well. When you're, when you're going on a trip, you don't want to burden yourself with too much by way of weight, right? I'm talking about weight on your back, shoulders, uh, suitcases, even though these days luggage uh, is getting much smarter in the sense of wheels and whatever. The moment you've got anything more than one carry-on bag and one suitcase, it becomes a bit of an ordeal, doesn't it, to get Indeed. around? Yeah, it does. It and, does. So, so, and obviously, if you've got camera gear that weighs 10 kilos, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a problem. So the balance is the hard thing. There, there's, zoom, there, there's two elements, isn't there? There's the zoom and there's also wide angle. And I've always taken a separate camera but I suppose I've compromised and I've got something with automatic everything. And I've done that primarily because I'm lazy, I think. No, primarily because of the weight, because I can get something that doesn't burden me. And it, the other thing, of course, I've, I've gone the other way at times, Chris. If it's too light, it's hard to hold steady. That, that's the other piece of advice I'd give. As much as they say, oh, well, it's a steady shot or whatever, uh, it's the balancing between getting something so light you can you can barely notice that you've got it, uh, but it then may compromise on the sorts of uh, photographs that you end up with. No, for sure. We might do an episode uh, down the track on on taking your camera and taking your photographic gear on holiday because if I give it some thought, I can probably come up with a million ideas. And it really de the, 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 my last word on this will be for the time being: it depends what you want to get out of your photos on your holiday, what you take. But generally. What you get on a phone these days, you'll get good, happy snaps. If you want to take anything better than that, you do need to take a dedicated camera. But whether you take a small camera, a, a larger camera with a lens, and what lenses you take, gee, that's something that we could talk about for hours. You know, you know, the other thing that I'll mention, which is a slightly askew topic but still relevant, you know when you take video on your smartphone, the... The thing is that let's say you're capturing the uh, the I was going to say the coming of the guards, the, the changing of the guards or whatever, let's say outside Buckingham Palace. The the challenge that you've got is you're so transfixed on getting the best snaps that you're actually not seeing the event for yourself. Yeah, you know that that that's caused me no end. You virtually have to see it twice, and. You know, it, it's kind of like, oh, gee, I want to see my, my son or grandson walk for the first time, but I also want to capture it on video. Uh, the, the, these days, it's, it's, everything is about, oh, yes, you know, you've got to get it on video, otherwise it hasn't happened. Well, yes, but it's all, there's, there's some stress associated with that as well, and there's something to be said with saying, all right, well, I don't have that on video, but I might get the second time he walks, but I'm experiencing it for real and without the camera in front of my face. Yeah, video is, is a whole other thing. And while most still cameras these days will also have a video function, if an event's worth videoing, you can probably buy a video of it, a professionally shot video of it. And unless you are George Lucas or Steven Spielberg, the professionally shot video will be far better than anything you can do. Keep the video, and video is very memory consuming, Keep the video for short stuff, uh, for short, you know, uh, like the, the, the view from the top of a tower. You know, take a video, take a mm -hmm. panorama shot and take a video, and that's great. But don't sit there and try and video, you know, a whole 20-minute changing of the guard or whatever for two reasons. As you said, you'll miss 
you'll miss detail because you're watching your phone, not the event. And the other is, after about five minutes, even the strongest person's arms will get tired from yes. holding it there in, in front of your face. It's not a natural pose to be in. Well, and the other aspect with, with photographs and with video is it means something to you at the time. Often you take far too much of it. And then when you try to show your friends... Your friends are often polite. Oh, yes, we're really intrigued. But once they've seen the 573rd shot you've taken, you know, that how much is too much? I, I personally believe that it, as nice as it is to have the vistas in front of you in a photograph, having people in the shots adds immeasurably to the experience, especially if it's the people that you know, right? And, I mean, if you... Let's say you're taking a trip of six weeks or eight weeks and you want to sit down at some point and show your mates, you know, a couple of hundred shots, I think, is about it. You know, that's my... You know, th there's a tolerance level. You know, when, when we talk on the podcast, the, the movie's first, and we talk about what's the ideal running time for a film, and we usually say 90 minutes. I think there's a tolerance level that most people have for seeing Happy Snaps, but that's just my view. Do you agree or not? Well, there's a reason why Slide Night died in the late 1970s. <laughs> well put. Let's well, get back to Dubai. Let's get back to Dubai. We... on One of the last things that we did, I, I was really keen on seeing the hotel that is in most postcards of Dubai, which is called the Burj Al Arab. That's the one with the sale. And it, it's sort of, it's a seven star. It's, it's touted as a seven star hotel. It took five years to build, opened on the 1st of December, 1999. I wanted to inspect it. And basically most people can't do this. I told them, you know, what my purpose was as a travel writer, etc., and, they accommodated at short notice and I was extremely grateful to the Burj Al Arab for doing so. And basically, a, a driver from the hotel we were staying at, which was very, very close by, shared the same beach as the Burj Al Arab, uh, the Jumeirah Beach Hotel, a driver drove us to the Burj. We could have walked, to be honest. It, it boasts 202 suites, which range in size from 170 square metres to 780 square metres seven different price points and we well a, a lot of the lot of the premises was occupied so we inspected the middle level premises a two bedroom suite which was as you can imagine luxurious and spacious it, it had its own unique hermes fragrance and toiletries not available for purchase in the shops so you, you can pick up your own aftershave that you can take with you kind of thing right that they provide well basically when I say it's thrown in, uh, you do have to pay for the accommodation, Chris. And and I asked about... <laughs> really? And I thought, well, it, it, apart from giving you the $10,000 car that I didn't, the, the model car at Ferrari World, maybe I can, you know, knowing that you are also going to Dubai, maybe I can shout you a night at a, a truly memorable hotel. So I, I, I thought, well, I'll just ask the rude question which is not rude, but it's a question that you must ask before you stay there. The starting price for a night based on rack rates for one night in the Burj Al Arab, although you are not going to just stay one night because the average stay is three nights, but there you go. It's $4,000 plus 20% tax. So oh, a mere about, snip. Yeah, nothing. That's, that's a one-bedroom suite. You know, that wouldn't be enough because you'd want to lounge over a few suites. I understand that. So I said... Well, if I've got a mate who wants a couple of bedrooms, what would that set us back? Well, it doubles in price. Right, so you're up to nearly 10K. And then if you want a three-bedroom, you're up to 15K. 
right? So you just sort of, yeah, 4,800 and you just multiply it. But if that's not enough for you, and if you really want a memorable, memorable, truly memorable experience, and the presidential suite is your penchant... Oh, then why not, yes. Why not? Lash out. Then pay 20000 a night plus 20% taxes for the presidential suite. But there's, there's more, Chris. There's more? What's above the presidential suite? Steak knives. No, <laughs> the piece de resistance is the royal suite. Of course it is. At... $23,300 per night plus 20% taxes. So uh, make it a cool $28,000. There you go. That's that's cheap at half the price, Chris. $28,000 for one night in the Royal Suite. Cheapest buffet meal, by the way, in one of the Burj Al Arab's five restaurants set you back about 150 bucks for a buffet. And if you go to the a la carte restaurants, uh, start you off about 230 bucks for a meal. And it's got its own private helipad, by the way. So... If you want to take a little bit of a jaunt in your in your purpose-built helicopter, then in-house guests can take a 40-minute aerial tour of Dubai. Please tell me that's included in your insanely expensive price for the room. Would you really expect it to be? Well, I was living in hope. Yes, yes. Well, look, it's it's only only it, it's cheap at half the price again. To use that phrase for the second time. $4,300 for 40 minutes. But it doesn't matter whether you are there going to do that by yourself or you could be in a party of four. You could split it between you. It's only just over 1000 bucks each. Oh, excellent, excellent. I'll squeeze yeah. in 40 people and we'll do it in an affordable way. Yes, exactly. So, look, Dubai Tourism was terrific. They, they helped me out enormously, uh, as did Creative Holidays. Uh, hats off to them. I would highly commend them to you because... Uh, they know this place and they've got the partners, as I say, Arabian Adventures. And, uh, yeah, look, I was talking about the average length of stay being three nights. Well, Asians, specifically Chinese, are the ones that predominate. But the ones that stay the longest are the Russians. They often stay at the Burj Al Arab for not just a week, but weeks at a time, maybe even a month or longer. There you go. So... There must be lots of wealthy Russians, Chris. Well, the other thing I think is, Alex, bear in mind that the winters in Russia are, are very severe. Uh, and, and if you're going to get away, you might as well get away to somewhere where there's never going to be snow. Uh, and the golf works well for that. Well, of course, there is snow because they make snow, as I said to you before. <laughs> the indoor the, hey, listen, the, the people of Dubai are very creative and you can go to a shopping centre that contains snow fields and a hotel and you can drink your glue wine and you can, yes, you can even go down ski slopes and do all sorts of wonderful things. But, look, it's a great place. I, I thoroughly, I, I didn't know what to expect other than people said it was pretty sort of big and bold and brash and it certainly is that i mean we loved our experience in dubai we um, we went to the hotel uh, we went back to the hotel next morning we got a wake up call at 5:15 uh, we had one booked for 5:15 i woke up before the alarm had our bags packed the previous night arabian adventures driver picked us up at about 6 o'clock drove us to the airport for a scheduled 8:30 departure and, look, checking in, clearing immigration, the easiest I've experienced it really was. We, um, we headed to the Emirates Business Class Lounge, uh, and uh, that, was, that was very good. Qantas and Emirates were together. And uh, I, I had uh, breakfast there, checked my emails, and then I reflected upon my four nights in Dubai with my wife. And all I can say 
is that those who may dismiss it as purely a transit destination are missing out big time. We could easily, easily have spent a week in Dubai, four nights nowhere near enough, and we did it at pretty breakneck speed. So to do it more leisurely, uh, you know, there, there's quite some distances between places. So you need car, a car to get by. Uh, you know, there are buses and things as well, but I mean, a car is ideal. And it's a country, as I say, that values tourists like very few others. The locals are extraordinarily friendly and welcoming. I defy even the hardest of hearts not to be impressed by what the Shakers created and crafted out of the desert. And the appetite to keep building and expanding and capturing world attention shows no signs of abating. So, yes, there are lots of cranes. Um, and, yeah, I would highly commend Dubai to people, as well as Abu Dhabi. So combine the two, spend a week there. Don't just make it a transit destination. And... Uh, that was our experience in Dubai. We were there towards the end, in fact, in December 2014. Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher and iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. From Audioboom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top-secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify, or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows.